Hello, and welcome back to the Health Science Podcast. Now, that song, was that who I think it was? Could it be? Is that Chase Drew? It has to be Chase Drew. Yeah, it's Chase Drew. <laughs> Check out his music, all the streaming platforms. Great guy. Thanks again for letting us use his intro for intro and exit. Yes, sir. Check as out al- the album. As always, I'm joined by my trusty number two, Zachary Hunter. Mm-hmm. Zach, what's going on today? I'm Ginger Peachy. Devin, how are you? It's it's uh With all the bad weather and all the pandemic stuff going on, as soon as we get a really good day and it's sunny out, yeah, I mean, I'm ginger peachy too. Our, our spirits are lifted. <laughs> exactly. It's a great day to record a podcast. It is. So uh, check Zach's podcast out. He's also the host of the Fiscal Frisk, which you can find on all the streaming platforms. Yes. Uh, episodes go live Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn about fiscal and monetary policy, he's a good source. So if you're new to the channel here, we take research papers in the field of health science. We break them down. We tell you why researchers do the things they do and what that means to you, the average person. So today we've got a little something different. Um, if you've listened to our other podcasts, most of the stuff is more sciencey science research. Yeah. This is maybe not even traditionally health science research. It's more psychology research, but it has to do with your health and their mental health and your well-being. So still important. I figured I'd include it in the podcast, and we want to cover you know a wide a wide variety of topics. We don't want to be a one-trick pony, right? Yeah. So this is going to be our intro to the field of psychology. Okay. Now, my background is not specifically in psychology, but I do have some education in both sport and rehab psychology and general psychology, which I studied for the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Now, there's tons of things I don't know. It's an incredibly deep field, and I would I would say do it. If anybody's thinking about psychology, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And we're just only going to scratch the surface, so just a, a quick disclaimer for that. Mm-hmm. So what is the study we're going to be looking at today? So it's called... Again, mouthful, prepare. <laughs> it's called Women's Exposure to Thin and Beautiful Media Images and Body Image Effects of Media Ideal Internalization and Impact Reduction Interventions. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I know some of those words. <laughs> some of those words, the. I heard of the. I heard I of know, the. I know that. Yeah. So what does this basically say? It's the portrayal of women in the media and how does that affect real women? And then how can we potentially mediate those those effects that that might come from that, right? Yeah. And everybody kind of knows it. Like when you when you see on social media and on movies and stuff, and you're like, wow, like these people are like those whatever body goals or image, yeah. like most of that stuff is just not attainable. Yeah. Whether well, it be through technology and editing or yeah. incredible amounts of money being spent on on professional training and stuff. And there's a lot of things that people don't realize. But from a scientific or again a, a psychological perspective mm-hmm. how does this actually affect people right yeah well and i feel like this is a really good topic because again with the pandemic and everything going on right now a lot of people have a lot of extra spare time and they're on those social medias and oh, they're yeah. on those platforms comparing themselves right so oh, yeah. this will be a very good article no i mean you don't have anything to do even i find myself like i would get pent up and just stare at, at instagram for a long time and I, yeah. I just would be like screw it and i got rid of it yeah. Like we're not going to look at that because we're almost two years of Instagram free, <laughs> Instagram free. It's like, is that, is that toastable? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the paper is going to start off like any other research paper. It's going to start to define kind of these terms, maybe give us some background and some numbers and, and mm-hmm. just get us up to speed on what we already know. They introduce a term called body image. It's something that we should really define here. So 
By definition, this is the perception that a person has of their own physical self and the thoughts and feelings associated with that. So yeah. not only how they see themselves, but how does that affect them with their feelings and their, their emotions toward that, right? Right. And this could be really positive or it could be really negative, right? Yeah. In, in the definition, we don't know. It's how it affects it. Could be really good, could be really bad. Yeah. And I think for most people, we already know that when you're seeing unattainable images on the media, it's probably going to have a negative effect, right? Yeah. I mean, we could, we could just logically make that general make that. claim. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the paper, however, does state that someone's body image is not a stable trait. Rather, it's going to be dependent on certain events. Okay. So it can fluctuate. You know, in certain situations, your perception of yourself might be a little bit more confident, might be a little less confident. It can depend on things, which is really important. And we'll kind of get back to that. Yeah. Well, again, which makes sense. And the example, obviously, that they use here is the media exposure. So how does that um, that constant exposure, even just a one-time exposure, which we're doing in this study, mm -hmm. how does that affect that? Because it's not a trait. It's not something that is, is always stable all the time. Mm -hmm. It is something that can fluctuate uh, depending on how much exposure. And they're going to test how much exposure is needed or what kind of changes we're going to see. Okay. Now, the reason for choosing this example is obviously just the prevalence. Like this, this unrealistic body stuff is everywhere. Everywhere. Right? That's just media in yeah. a nutshell, right? Yeah. Now, just from watching some TV shows or movies, even casually, we'd all kind of guess that the portrayal of women is particularly bad, especially women. Um, and it's going to be biased toward being thin and perfect and fat all the time. Yeah. Now, Zach, if I had to ask you, so what percent of female characters in television programs are actually thinner than the average woman? Ooh. Um, just like rough ballpark, I would say like more than 50%, probably even closer oh, yeah. up to 75%. Yeah, it's, it's even more. 94. 94? Yeah. So 94% so of the women in all of these television programs are actually like just like more and, and quote air quote perfect than the yeah. average woman. So 94% of the stuff that a, a, a woman would be looking at on the TV does is, not portray is, is the not average be, yeah, it's women. Not be anything realistic. That's 94%. Yeah. And then on top of that, it said that previous research that associated with uh, these women are always associated with things like success, happiness, and mm -hmm. desirability, right? I mean, we see this. It's it's that that thing that you can drool at. Oh my God, these people have this amazing life or whatever it is, right? So the problem here is that this idealization of these body images have also been shown to be associated with body image dissatisfaction, which is another kind of construct that we, we use in, in psychology is a lot of construct. It's like kind of wrapping your head around a phenomenon and trying to measure it because most of psychology research uses questionnaires because you can't yeah. get that information from just, I can't take a blood sample and, you know, how's your psychology doing? So yeah. you have to actually ask these certain questions and there's these questionnaires that are developed to try to, to measure these constructs. And this is kind of the body image dissatisfaction or how satisfied with that is, is, is one of the measures that they use here. Okay. So, Meaning the more important it is for women to want to attain these body goals, the more they become dissatisfied with the perception of their own body. Right. So the more yeah. the more that you idealize these. Well, and again, we've even saw that when we were on our own Instagrams. We like you follow more like rich people, you want to be more rich. And then like yeah. you don't like then you have like that mentality. Like it's kind of like when you don't think of it, you like it's like when you think of a car, then you always see that car, but you weren't thinking of it before. So you like you wouldn't notice it but now that you're thinking about it you see it so when you see those mm -hmm. like uh, like un unobtainable bodies or it's like in the, the back goals, of your mind kind of there all the time and then it's like okay i need to reach that and then that will just change your way that you view your body exactly so then 
again, most of the time, because 94, 94% of the time, these are just unattainable and better than what you are right now. Yeah. You get these poor perceptions and that these are frequently accompanied by uh, poor self-esteem, yet social anxiety, depression, even eating disorders if it gets bad. So yeah. it can have real serious effects on, on people's health, right? Now, who would be the most vulnerable of these types of unrealistic comparisons? Like what kind of person is going to be doing this? And this is interesting because you also have to, if you're measuring a construct, you also have to see, does that construct, at what extent does it apply to this person? Because you might have some person that, um, you know, it is in a position in their life where they're not comparing about certain things. Yeah. And I think the one they use here is called a, a level of internalization. So you know, how much do you, it's kind of like a, it's a cognitive trait. So in this case, you can actually measure how much somebody would internalize this. They're going to use a questionnaire and by their answer, they can actually categorize women into being either high internalization or low. So I guess in really general terms, low internalizations means they don't care. Like there are some women that, yeah, they just don't care. It doesn't matter how much, you know, body image they stuff they exposed. said to it, yeah. they just don't wait. Whereas higher internalization, they, they take that, they internalize it, they go, oh my God, this is this is what I should look like. Yeah. This is what other people look like. Um, and they're going to be the most vulnerable. So yeah. Yeah. if you just measure how much of it there is, mm -hmm. you got to see, well, is this going to affect women that uh, are internalizing it more or less? Uh, and can we categorize those? So they have a separate question here to categorize them into high and low. And then later they kind of talk about the, the high internalization women are obviously the more vulnerable group. They're kind of the one that the, the study's tailored to yeah. and that you would want to make sure that those are the women with the, um, the training program that they want to use to try to mediate these effects that it works for them. Cause if it doesn't work for them, it's not going to work for anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So they could conclude again that, um, uh, high internalization women are more likely to look up to some of these higher profile individuals and kind of have those upward comparison targets. Right. Yeah. And as such, they're more likely to feel inferior for not meeting these norms of attractiveness. Yeah. Now we get into how this study was structured. So we refer back to the title. We want to learn how the portrayal of women in the media affects body dissatisfaction and how can we help that? So right here, we can make the assumption that we're going to probably have a control group. It's going to be given exposure to media images mm -hmm. or something like that. And then the intervention group is going to get something that the authors think will make, uh, or sorry, will will help them not make these unfair comparisons, right? Which is that little training program. Yeah. So, which is correct. The authors state that the intervention of training program is called a media literacy program. So it's going to teach the women that the pictures shown are altered by various processes, whether it be makeup, certain camera work and lighting, um, even post editing, yeah. all the stuff that goes on to make these these um, magazine cover models what they are. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting sentence. They say they used a state measure of weight concern instead of a trait measure of weight concern. Now, again, a trait is something that's fixed, right? Okay. So, Zach, what color would your eyes be? I have them baby blues. You got blue eyes. And do your do your eyes change color depending on the situation that you're in? No. Exactly. So that's something that we'd say a trait. It's yeah. not a state. Um, whereas a state is just like it sounds. It's it's something that depends on the situation that you're in. Yeah. Which is important because referring back to what we established earlier is that the body image is not something that's stable. It's going to be affected depending on that situation. Yeah. So... So this study, they, they're taking the state and not the trait. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's, yeah. it's more about the exposure, the immediate exposure, what it does, rather than maybe measuring the state or the, uh, the traits of people that have lived in. Because you'd have to maybe yeah. do a cross-cultural comparison yeah. to say this cultural 
Uh, this culture has a lot more of these type of unrealistic images. And what yeah. does that do on average? And you, you could only parse out so many effects. So for mm-hmm. this, again, they want to highlight the state, which is immediately you're being shown this. How does that just make you feel right now? Right. Yep. So the study was performed on 123 white female students um, at a university in the States. Now, there were only white women in the study because the comparison images that had been validated earlier were only done for white women. So there might not be, because this is a social comparison thing, having other ethnic groups in that might not be relevant to white women. They wouldn't maybe compare themselves um, subconsciously to other groups. Yeah. So this was not done to exclude any types of groups. This can be done across different cultures. And they actually, I've seen studies where they, they look at that cultural effect yeah. on basically the same phenomenon. In this case, it was just basically to ensure that the ethnic group of the women has no effect on the outcome. If it's just, you got white women, you compare to white women, that's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there are... Well, there is more of that comparison there than trying to make it like the group so broad that it can go cross culture. So again, makes sense that white women to white women. Yep. Um, so yeah, and then future studies could obviously be done in a group. You would just have to... Uh, we talked, I don't know, was it in podcast two, I think about validity, which is just, does this measure what it actually measures? So, or does this do what it it is trying to achieve? The tools that they had used in this case uh, had been validated. You would just have to validate another questionnaire or type of thing for a different uh, ethnic group to get that, get get proper data on that, right? Yep. So the women were asked to come in, fill out all the questionnaires, then they're going to do some pre and some post, and they're going to see what the effects are. Okay. So the intervention was either given pictures of media depictions of women, so these undetectable, or just pictures of cars. Now, what would you think? Why would they show something irrelevant like cars, right? Like, what do you think that would be? It wouldn't be like a direct comparison, obviously, right? Because there's no difference between cars versus a picture of a white woman. Exactly. So that's basically just a control group. They're just not getting the intervention, right? Yeah. It's It's just you're showing something that's completely irrelevant. It's not going to have any effect on, you know, their body dissatisfaction. I mean, unless you compare yourself to a car, I don't know. <laughs> we don't judge you if you do, but no, well, let's... <laughs> exactly. but I think for most people, I wouldn't compare myself to a car. So within these two groups, then they either gave no training or the educational stuff. So that, that uh, media literacy training to see if the effect on the media literacy, uh, the people that had been trained by the media literacy stuff, would say have a, a, a lot less of an effect of the people that didn't get it to see if it has some of um, a protective effect. So if we show them images, but then we also say, this is what they do to alter these images and, and yeah. you basically train them on it. Does that limit the amount that you've taken that in and, and used it as a comparison for yourself? Yeah. Now they're also, uh, they also do something else that's done in research here and, and, and a lot in psychology studies like this, and they'll allow for some deception. So, this can be a very challenging hoop to jump through for a lot of studies, but it's common in psychology because there really isn't a risk associated with the deception. When you submit an ethics proposal for a study, informing the participants about what you're doing and why you're doing it is like really important. That's one of the pillars that like research is, is just built on. That's yeah. something that you, like I've learned since we got to university, everyone should know that if you don't, you've been living under a rock yeah. and you're probably doing unethical stuff, which is not good. This is like, this is rule number one. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the autonomy principle, which basically states the participants must be educated on the study and what they're doing so that they can make their own informed decision about whether they want to volunteer or not. Well, exactly. So this is important with volunteer-based studies because when they want to get a, say, representative sample, a lot of times you, you're not allowed to actually offer anybody any reward or money for like 
doing the study because then you'd be probably getting people that just need money. Yeah. And and that's a biased sample. You exactly. try to have it completely neutral. So when it's yeah. volunteer based, you eliminate the bias from offering somebody money or, or having any type of coercion, God forbid. Yeah. If you do it volunteer based, they also have to be really informed because then it's completely up to them. There's no, there's no, there's no money involved. There's no coercion. There's no anything. It's just, this is what we're doing. Do you want to do it or not? Right. And, yeah. and that education part is, is really key. So deception can sometimes be challenging to get through ethics, but you'll see in psychology because they're just doing simple questionnaires and they would do the same thing anyways. Yeah. They just say, this is market research. And they'd be like, okay, cool. We're going to talk about cars and we're going to talk about, you know, fashion models that we see yeah. in, in these pictures. Right. And they don't know that it's actually the, their, their state, like their, their body dissatisfaction that's being measured. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you can make an argument that deception will basically in no way harm participants or even change the way the study's done, I, I'm pretty sure that's that's how you would get that through an ethics board. But in like my field of science, like you just I'm using, you know, electrical shocks to the skin. You can't tell somebody that you're not doing that. Yeah. Right. That's just I, that's just that's <laughs> straight no up reason, unethical. <laughs> there's no reason exactly. So in this case, uh, there's no reason to do it, and it would actually be a really valuable tool in that case, right? Yeah. So. The, in our case, the women were not told that the questionnaires had anything to do with their body dissatisfaction. They were told yeah. that it was just consumer research for some of these products. And that also kind of helped with the cars thing. Yeah. <laughs> say, well, this is just consumer well, stuff. Because, what yeah, it's consumer. Like, yeah. right? Well, and it's like what you said. It's easier. Like if you don't know you're playing a game, it's hard to cheat the game. And like, you again, biases are such a huge thing in research, especially again, when the media portrays like a certain like thing. And then sometimes women don't want to be honest about that either mm-hmm. about like their own body dissatisfaction. So it's almost better that you don't tell them. Yeah. So like, and if it works properly, the women will have no idea they're being evaluated that way. And then you're going to get the benefits, like you said, with their honesty levels Yeah. is that if they don't know what's happening, they can't deceive it, which, which people's, um, people's self-perception is a very fragile thing. People, exactly. have, people have a kind of a construct of who they are as a person. And, and when you ask them about stuff, a lot of times if they're aware of it, they will purposely protect you know, their self-esteem and how yeah. they want to portray themselves. When in reality, we need honesty. And, and in, in, in research situations like this, you, you could have a horrible self-perception and it's not going to make a difference to me, but to the person re- replying to that on a questionnaire, if they're aware of it, that affects how they feel. And that actually might change their state as well. Yeah. So you have to be really careful with, with trying to get that honest information and not affecting their, their state at the time either. Yeah. So if they, yeah, if they don't know what's happening, they can't deceive it, which is, which is a, a, a very good thing in this case. Yes. Cause like a lot of people just, they want to appear more confident, more put together than they might actually be. So that this is really important in getting mm-hmm. the, the most precise data that we can. And and it's also because, well, it's the only data we have. All exactly. of it is all of it is self-report. Again, yeah. I can't take a measurement. I can't do that. We this is our you number can't one measure source. feelings. Exactly. Right. So we, we we get that through these questionnaires. It's kind of our window into the psychology, right? Yeah. So what does the results show? So the authors concluded that the five minutes of media exposure that they gave these women can significantly increase body dissatisfaction over the neutral images. So I show you images of cars. I show you images of, of unattainable bodies. Um, as a woman from the media, you're, you're going to have a, a big increase in dissatisfaction over the neutral images. Yeah. And that the media literacy training program was actually able to reduce the adverse effects from this, um, even in the high internalization women. So women that were more vulnerable to making those comparisons 
just by simply teaching them uh, the, their states are actually stable. They don't they don't get affected by the, by yeah. the media images, right? So what can we actually learn from that? So one thing I want to highlight that we're measuring here is that it is a state. So there's no reason to believe that from this data alone that this level of exposure could cause permanent dissatisfaction, that someone would just, you show them a couple images and then, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're just completely, you know, not confident with themselves. And, and that's like trait if it's permanent. Yeah, th that would be more of a yeah. trait. And that would be something that you'd have to study over a long period of time. Now, you mm -hmm. could speculate that constant exposure and bombardment with these media images could have a way of creating a permanent effect. But again, you can't make that conclusion from this study. This would be something that you'd have to do a little bit more long term, right? Yeah. Now, we could also can't make a conclusion about men. Men are very different. Uh, psychology literature, you can look up tons of different stuff between yeah. men and women. Uh, they're just fundamentally wired very different when it comes to the responses on on psychology literature too. So if you see something about women or you see something about men, don't apply it to the other one because uh, you're going to get very different ways. Yeah. And the way, especially here when it comes to culture, right? You know, we live in a very diverse culture and there's some very different effects that go on and affect men and women very differently. So yeah. those, those are not jumps that you can make either, uh, either. Sorry. You can't also make conclusions about other cultures. Again, we mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Other cultures have different body standards. They have different ways of, of judging them, their own self-worth, tons of different stuff. And that's all, that's all affected by where you were brought up. Right. So we can't make those jumps either. Yep. So that's probably a good way to end this paper. I mean, it, it, it showed us some really good stuff. And I think yeah. it's a really just simple way to kind of introduce psychology. Um, again, lots of uh, self-report stuff. That's how we get an idea of how people are feeling. Uh, we know generally the difference between a trait and a state. We know some of the limitations of, of a study like this, but we could also say like definitively, not just anecdotally, like, hey, you know, I, yeah. I see a bunch of models and now I don't feel good. But it actually, five minutes of this stuff, you're just shown a couple pictures. And then yeah. your body dissatisfaction has just gone up, yeah. Right, and 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 that that's kind of terrifying. And I I, if you know me and you've talked to me personally, I have a bit of a negative view on social media. I think no. it does a lot of great things, but this is kind of one of the ideas where yeah. if we're addicted to always scrolling through and 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 getting, you know, our fix, this could potentially compound over time. And yeah. that's only speculation. We can't say that from here. But if, if, if the listeners, if you guys like this idea, like doing more psychology research, we could find mm -hmm. longer studies that say like, what, what are the long terms of term effects of this you know, technological age and, and kind of the prevalence of seeing this stuff in the media, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a good way to end. Uh, so we hope you like this. Psychology is a really fascinating field. Uh, it was hopefully a good introduction to kind of the methods and approaches that they use. If you want to see more of this type of research, send us a message. My contacts always in the description along with the references for the stuff. Check out Zach's podcast, The Fiscal Frisk. New episodes go live Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Yes. So for myself, for Zach, stay happy and healthy. Thanks for joining us on the Health Science Podcast.